Please follow along as I read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, has come into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, was who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Christ Jesus. No one has ever seen God, the only God, one who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today, and we thank you that we can open up your word and read about you. Lord, I ask that you just give Pastor Mike the words that you want him to say and the ears that you want, and ears for the congregation to hear what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, good morning. You can have a seat. So good to see you this morning. My name is uh, Mike Lee, and I get to be the pastor here at Mission Valley Church. If you and I have never met, uh, we'd love to do that. And so there's a couple ways we can kind of get to know each other. The first is this. I'm going to be standing out in the lobby for just a little bit uh, after service today before I make my way over to the newcomer's lunch. Uh, If you are new, let me just invite you to come have lunch with me. That would be a great way to get to know each other. Uh, Maybe today's your first day and you're wondering, can I go to that newcomer's lunch? Absolutely. We'd love to have you. Um, And so we can meet that way. Another way we can meet, if you want, uh, fill out one of those Connect cards. We talked about it at the beginning. We'll talk about it again at the end. Fill out a Connect card. Hand it in at the info table, Laura will get it and she'll get it to me and and then I'll reach out to you uh, that way. And then the third way that we can meet, if you want, send me a text, 602-763-3331. If you didn't get that, ask somebody. I give it out every week. Uh, And that is so that you can reach out to me if you need something. Maybe something happens during the week and you want some prayer. Uh, Maybe something happens during the week and you want to just like, you know, check in. Maybe you just want to like, just send me a joke or something. I don't know what you like to do. Uh, But anyways, I'm happy to get those texts. Eric, don't get any funny ideas. Eric smiled and now he's going to send me goofy texts all week. I know it. Anyways, uh, but if he wants to, it's fine. I'm happy for it. So uh, if you're new here, let me just tell you what's going to happen. I remember the first time that I walked into church, and I hadn't been to church in a really long time, and I was nervous about what would happen there, what will happen in this thing called church. So if you're brand new, if today's your first day, let me just tell you what's going to happen today. First, I'm going to preach out of the text that was just read to us. So we just looked at a text. That's It's from God's Word. It's from the Gospel of John, and we're going to open that up, and I'm going to, I'm going to preach about it, and I'm going to preach in a 
specific way. Uh, I'm not mostly preaching to teach you, although I hope you learn something. I'm mostly preaching so that we may be transformed by God's Word, so that we can look at God's Word and be transformed. And one of the transformations that will happen is that it will help prepare us for what we're going to do later in the worship service. So I'll preach that text, and then the Christians in the room will take communion. We call it communion or the Lord's Supper. And it's the one thing we would ask if you're not a Christian. We would ask you not to do that because it wouldn't make any sense to you. And then after that, we will sing to Jesus. We will praise Jesus. You'll notice that we do the majority of our singing at the end of the service in this church, and we do that on purpose. It's very intentional. We think that sometimes you walk in here and you're not quite ready to sing. Maybe you had a rough morning. Maybe the, the kids didn't cooperate or, or, or you just couldn't figure out how to warm up the car in this 50-degree weather, you know, that we're, we're struggling through in Phoenix, right? Maybe that was you this morning. Uh, or maybe you walked in here and you would say, I don't want to sing to Jesus because I don't even know who Jesus is. And so as I preach this text in particular, but all texts, uh, we'll see that by the end of this, we'll have good reason to sing. So uh, that's what's going to happen today. I'm so glad that you're here. Today, I'm particularly excited because we're starting this brand new series, Jesus Is. And we are looking at a bunch of different texts in the Gospel of John to look at the different attributes of Jesus. We're just going to spend the next several weeks in the Gospel of John, and we're going to look specifically at the attributes of Jesus. Uh, this morning in, our, in our, our leader meeting, in our worship leader meeting, Stephen was saying, uh, Stephen, who's serving as our interim worship leader, uh, we'll keep talking about him. He's, but he was saying he's not sure if it's okay to have a favorite text in the Bible, but if it was okay, this would be one of his, right? This is a just a really, really rich text, and there's so much to talk about it. And you could probably write books, volumes of books, just on these verses, these 18 verses that were just read. But we're going to be looking at a bunch of different passages over the next several weeks to really focus in on the attributes of who Jesus is. Is. Just who is he? And to help us with that, if you don't have one, uh, you can pick one of these up on your way out. We have these little bookmarks uh, that are just a daily guided reading where if you did this, you would you would read through the entire Gospel of John between now and Easter. Uh, they're in pretty manageable chunks. And so I would encourage you to get one of these. They'll be back uh, in the back of the room. You can get one back there. Um, but we're going to be focusing in on looking at Jesus so that we could get to know who Jesus is better because here is what I really believe. It's so what I really believe as the pastor of this church. Here's what I really believe. That if people could encounter Jesus, if our friends that don't yet know Jesus could encounter him, if they could meet Jesus and get to know Jesus, if they could look past people who have represented Jesus poorly to them and simply get to Jesus, they'd want him. If the people that we know that don't know Jesus could just learn about who Jesus is, learn about his attributes, if we would represent Jesus well to the rest of the world, the world would want to know Jesus. Our, our friends would want to know Jesus. Now, of course, only Jesus can give someone faith to believe, but if they could get to Jesus, they would want to. And so I am encouraging you. As we enter this season, as we enter this season that will ultimately lead us to Easter, I'm encouraging you to be here every Sunday leading up to Easter. I'm encouraging you to do this reading plan together with us. I'm encouraging you so that you would know Jesus better. I'm encouraging you to bring a friend every Sunday uh, in, the, in this season as we lead up to Easter. Every single sermon that we preach 
uh, will be helpful for your friends that don't yet know Jesus. And I'm encouraging that you would pray with me that through this series, both those of us who know Jesus and our friends who do not yet know Jesus will come to know Jesus better in the coming weeks. Because over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be unpacking several attributes about who Jesus is. We'll see that Jesus is God, that he is the word, that he is the light, that he is savior, that he is shepherd, that he is provider, that he is all those things. And today, as we begin this series, today we get to see that Jesus did not become all of those things when he first appeared in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, Jesus has always been those things. There is some misconception, there's some misconception that some people have that God was there in the beginning, but Jesus came up later. But John's gospel starts exactly like Genesis. Both the first book of the Bible and John's gospel start the same way by saying in the beginning. And John is doing this intentionally to illustrate that Jesus has always been. Jesus has always been. He was there with God when all of everything started. He's always been the, the together. And so our big idea is simply this today. From the beginning, Jesus is. Jesus is. We don't say Jesus was because Jesus is. He is. He always is. He has always is. He, he is unchanging. It's, it's is. It's not was as though he was something and now he's something different. Jesus is. And so from today's text, we're going to be unpacking five truths and the implications of those truths in our life. And the first truth is this. From the beginning, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. The fullness of God came into Jesus. This is what the text says. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus literally is God. He's been there since the beginning, and he is quite literally God. They are the same, and they are different. So how does that work? Well, there's no illustration that does this perfectly, but we're going to share one with you. We're going to put it up on the screen right now, an illustration that tries to explain the Trinity. And the way that you see it is, It'll say, God is the Holy Spirit. God is the Son who is Jesus. God is the Father. The Son and the Father are not, the, like, so the Son, Jesus, is not the Father, but the Son, Jesus, is God. And I know that this is hard to grasp, right? And it's really hard to grasp, and that's why we've tried to make all kinds of different illustrations over the years, and this one probably gets as close to it as we can to understanding. But here's what you can know today. When we are talking about Jesus, we are talking about God. I've talked to people before that would say, well, I like what God has to say, but then he sent his son, and I'm not interested in what he has to say. I'm just more focused on what God had to say. And, and you can't do that. You can't separate them. God is Jesus, and God is the Father. That's what you can know for today. And you can know that because Jesus himself said this. In John chapter 10, verse 30, which we'll get to later on in this sermon series, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Jesus said that. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. John didn't say that. Jesus said that. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And this is a critical statement. I don't think we can overestimate how critical this statement is. When Jesus said, I and the Father are one, Jesus is saying, I am God. I am God. And so author, uh, author C.S. Lewis 
came, it came up and he said, this forces us to make a one of three decisions about who God is, about who Jesus is. C.S. Lewis said, hey, you're going to, because Jesus said he's God, you're going to have to believe one of three things. And these are your only three options. You can either believe that Jesus is a liar because he has said, I am God. He said, I am the Father of one. So you can believe that Jesus is a liar or you can believe that Jesus is a lunatic, right? You can just believe he's crazy. Or you have to believe that he is Lord. You, those are your three choices. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. I, I am God. And so you can believe him and say, yeah, that's for sure. And if that's true, then he is Lord. And if he is Lord, then he is Lord of all. He is all things to all people, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is it. You can believe that, or you can believe, nah, he's lying. He lied. That's not true. He's not the Lord. He, he, he's a liar. And if Jesus be a liar, then everything that we're doing today is a waste of time. I want you to understand that. I believe this with all of my heart because I've leveraged every single bit of my heart to believe. Like every part of my life revolves around the fact that Jesus is Lord. And if he is liar, then this is a waste of time then Christianity is the most time-consuming, expensive hobby on the planet. If Jesus is a liar, this is a, just an utter waste. You would be far better off today doing something else, playing golf or whatever other people do that don't get together to worship Jesus on Sunday mornings. And if he is a lunatic, we are of all people to be pitied. If we're following around and leveraging our lives for somebody who's just crazy, well, that is sad for us. If you're here today, you need to believe one of those things. The implication is that because Jesus has made this statement, we're forced to decide if we believe him or not. And if we believe him that he is Lord, that he and the Father are one, it should change everything about our lives. Not like, hey, if we could get our lives right, then Jesus could be our Lord. No, if we believe that Jesus is Lord, then it would ultimately change everything about us. It would change the way we talk to each other. It would change the way we view money. It would change the way we view security. It would change the way we view hospitality. It would change everything about us if we really believed. If Jesus is Lord and we really believe it, then we'll say, we don't care what anybody else has to say. We're going to focus in on what Jesus has to say. If we really believe that Jesus is Lord, we would say, we don't care about anything else that's going on, anything else that would vie for our attention. We are going to be laser focused on Jesus and his mission to go out into the world, to tell people about him, and to baptize them when they believe. If we truly believe that Jesus is Lord. I know it's hard to grasp. I know it's hard to grasp. How can Jesus and the Father be one, but one God, but also different? I know it's hard to grasp, but I won't apologize for that. As a matter of fact, I'll celebrate that our God is so big that it's difficult at times for us to fathom his fullness. I'll celebrate that in my puny mind, I can't completely comprehend Jesus as God. I'll celebrate that. And I will also admit that even if I can't fully comprehend it, it doesn't change the fact that it's true because Jesus himself said so. Church, Jesus is and has always been God. Here's the second thing I want you to know this morning. From the beginning, Jesus is the Word. From the beginning, Jesus is the Word. This is what it says. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. While Jesus was 
With God in the beginning, he is also the Word. Jesus is the Word made flesh. It is the fullness of God. This is why in Colossians 2.9 it says, For in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Right? That sounds like a fancy word, but what that means is that in Jesus, in the flesh and bones of Jesus, who literally came as a man, all of God was in him. All of God, all of it, every bit of God was there in Jesus, and all of it dwells in Jesus, including his very word. And again, I know this is hard to grasp, but everything we have as the very word of God dwelled in Jesus, all of the Bible, all of the law, all of the history, all of the wisdom, all of the prophecy, all of it is in Jesus. All of it, everything that we would walk around with and try to get to know better so that when we are studying God's word, when we are reading God's word, when we're praying on God's word, when we're meditating on God's word, what we're doing is trying to get closer to and understand Jesus better because the fullness of this existed in him. And I want you to think about the implication of this for a second. I want you to think about what this means. If all of the word is in God, if all of the word is in Jesus, then you and I cannot say, I love Jesus, but I won't read his word. Think about that for a second. If this is the fullness of God, is, 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 is his word, part of it is the fullness of God, part of it is the word. And if this is in Christ, we can't say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't like what he has to say about stuff. Think about the implications of this for a second. We can't say, I love Jesus, but I will not sit under the authority of the Bible because I don't like what it says in that one passage of that one chapter. We can't do that. You can't, you can't separate it. We can't say, I love Jesus, but I'm going to pick and choose which parts of the Bible I follow because there's just things in there that I don't want to deal with. We can't do that. Church, far too many people who profess to love Jesus literally despise parts of his word. And I'm telling us today that in the same way that we cannot separate God the Father and Jesus, we cannot separate Jesus from the word. You just can't do it. You can't say, I, I love Jesus, but I don't like his word. You can't do it because Jesus is the intent of the word, the promise of the word, the fulfillment of the word. Jesus is the word. Jesus is and always was the word. And it has major implications in our life. Third thing I want you to know is this. From the beginning, Jesus is creator. Jesus is creator. We, we, we read the story in Genesis and we see, and God created all things. And somehow we think, well, I wonder what Jesus was doing during that time. Was he off somewhere? Like he was like on vacation, like God's building the world. And Jesus is like sleeping in like a teenager would. I know today we don't have a lot of our teens with us because they're in camp. They just got on the bus. They're heading back. They're on their way back. You could be excited to see them and they'll come back tired and crabby. And we wonder if Jesus was off doing that when, when God God was creating the world, but that's not how it worked at all. This is what it says in 1.3, John talking about Jesus. He says, all things were made through him, and without him, not anything made that was made. Jesus is creator of all things. He wasn't like sleeping off on the side somewhere. All things were made through him, and nothing was made without him. So all of everything and all of everyone was created by and for Jesus. He is the creator we worship. He is the creator that we worship. And here is the implication for this. Throughout Scripture, we're warned over and over and over again about the problem of worshiping created things instead of the creator. 
All too often, what will happen to us as people is we will pick something that has been created to worship instead of worshiping the Creator. And in John's text this morning, we get to say, hey, we get to worship the Creator that created all the other things that we would even be tempted to worship. This has happened all throughout history. Uh, for example, if you were to look at what happened when, when God's chosen people were put into captivity, uh, they were enslaved under Pharaoh, and God sent Moses over there to get them, and, and he brought them out. He did all these miraculous signs and wonders. God just did all these amazing things. You should go read Exodus. I don't know why they've never made a really fantastic movie about Exodus, like a good one. Not like not like a boring one, but like a good one. Like, like get some cool people in there. Like Matthew McConaughey plays like Moses. And he's like, all right, all right, all right. Pharaoh, let my people go. I think that'd be cool. Anyways, I, if that happens, I want to get credit for it. We could use the playground fund. All right. Uh, but, but, but here's what happens is, is God calls these people out. He sends Moses. He goes to Pharaoh. He says, hey, let my people go. And he does all these amazing things, just amazing signs and wonders and all that stuff. Uh, he brings them out. He, 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 like, he parts a sea. They walk through on dry land. It's fantastic. Be a great movie. It, it's, but it really happened, right? He does all this cool stuff. And then Moses goes up onto Mount Sinai to get the law. And when he comes down, the people have like made for themselves this golden calf. And they're worshiping it. Right? It's like, what are you doing? God brought you out, not some stupid golden calf. And yet the people are like, well, we got to have something to worship. We don't know where God's at. Well, he's everywhere. Well, we're going to worship the calf. It happens all the time. This is what happens. You and I create idols out of things all the time. Pastor Tim Keller says that an idol is anything that we look to to do that which only Jesus can. And we'll make idol out of all kinds of stuff. We'll idolize money. We'll idolize jobs. We'll idolize toys. We'll idolize security and relationships. And this presents problems. It always presents problems. And we don't need to do this because the one we were created to worship is the creator. Church, Jesus literally made everything. So why would we worship something else? We can worship the creator of all things instead of focusing in on the creation. Why would you and I worship the stars instead of worshiping Jesus who hung them and numbered them? Why would you and I worship the earth when Jesus spoke it into existence? Why would you and I worship a person when Jesus formed that person in his or her mother's womb and knows every hair on his or her head? The answer is you wouldn't when you can go directly to the source of worship, which is Jesus who made it all. Church, Jesus is and always was creator of all things, and so we rightfully worship him. Number four, from the beginning, Jesus is the light. He's the light. He's the light that was to come. He is the light that came. Jesus is the light. This is what it says in verse four, four through five. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The life was the light of men. Like without him, men are dead, right? Because men will sin. Without, without Jesus, there, there isn't really life. He's the light of men. He's, that's the life. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light. Look, here's the thing. This world is so dark. This world is so dark. We see darkness and brokenness all around us. Every single day, we see darkness and brokenness all around us. This morning, we were just driving here, and we see people standing on the side of the road that don't have any place to live. 
And it doesn't actually make any sense. Because if I were to just ask the people at church this morning, how many of us have a spare bedroom, why are there people living on the street? Well, it's sin and brokenness. It just doesn't make any sense. Why is it like this here? Well, there's darkness. This is a dark place, and we see darkness all around us. And Jesus shows up to overcome the darkness, and Jesus himself cannot be overcome by the darkness. As you and I walk around in this dark world, it is Jesus that shines a light here. It's Jesus that brings hope here. It's Jesus that makes anything here make any sense, just as it was foretold. This is what it says in verse 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. All of the Old Testament pointed to the light of Jesus that was coming. All of it. Everything in the Old Testament pointed to it. Uh, in our kids' ministry, sometimes we'll read them uh, out of this uh, this Jesus storybook Bible. And every single one of the the... the stories from the Old Testament will talk about how when Jesus is coming, he's going to do it better. Like if you were to go over there in kids ministry and read about Jonah in the really big fish, right? It would say that God saved Jonah from the really big fish, but that one day God was going to send somebody, a savior, who would save everybody from something way worse than a really big fish, right? If you were to read about any of the stories over there, all of it would talk about how Jesus is going to do it better. And so before Jesus even begins his ministry, John the Baptist is out telling people that Jesus is coming, just like he was supposed to. Telling people that Jesus is coming, the one that you've been waiting for, the one that's been waited for since the beginning of time, has shown up that the light was coming, that the one who was coming, whose sandals John was not going to be fit to fasten, Jesus was the light that was promised and the light that was delivered. This is what it says in verses 9 through 13. True light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. And so when Jesus came, he made a way for people to follow him. When Jesus comes into the world as the light of the world, he makes a way for those who would believe to spend eternity with him. And of course, some don't believe. Some just wouldn't believe. Jesus literally shows up in his own town amongst his own people. And they're looking at him like, well, who are you? You're nobody. We don't believe. And eventually, when it became the opportunity, they would see him crucified, see him hung on a cross, see him killed, see him buried. They did not believe. And some people in the world today won't believe, and that doesn't change the fact that Jesus is the light. He has come as the light so that those who would believe would spend eternity with him. There's just some people who did not receive Jesus. They did not believe in him, and there are still some people who do not receive Jesus and will not believe in him, and yet their unbelief does not make Jesus any less the light. Think on this implication. We cannot believe in the light and then walk in the dark. We cannot believe in the light and then go on sinning like we've not yet seen the light. It just doesn't make any sense. 
You can't walk around and act like Jesus hasn't come into your life and changed everything about you and then just go on as though you're still stumbling around in the dark. Furthermore, we can't allow our friends to walk around stumbling in the darkness when we're supposed to share the light of Jesus with them. Think about this this morning. Think about your friends, your coworkers, the people in your life that don't know Jesus. They're literally walking around in the same dark and dreary world that you're walking in around, but they don't have the hope that comes with the light of Jesus. They're dealing with death and cancer and sickness and homelessness and all manner of horrible things just like you are, but they're doing so without the hope that comes with knowing where the light is. Have you ever been in a situation where you were in the dark and you were afraid? Maybe you were a little kid. Maybe it was last night and you're 60 years old. Where you were in the dark and you're stumbling around and you don't know where to go and you're lost and you're scared and you just wish somebody would turn the light on. That's what it's like for our friends that don't know Jesus. They're walking around in the dark every day. And we're like hiding out like, ah, oh, sure would be nice for you to know there's a light switch. And we walk around like we don't know where it's at. We can't do that. The implication of knowing that the light has come is living like the light has come. Living like that. That's why we don't say as Christians that we don't mourn. We just say we don't mourn as those that don't have hope. That's why we don't say as Christians that we don't, we, we don't, we never say like, hey, we'll never sin. We just say we know what to do having sinned. We repent and believe again. There's implications to the fact that the light has come and we should live accordingly. Jesus is the light of the world. He has come to overcome the darkness. We can rejoice in that. Jesus is and always was the light. And what does it mean that Jesus is the light? What does that mean? Well, it means that from the beginning, Jesus is Son of God sent to save. If Jesus is the light that was promised, then that means that Jesus is Son of God sent to save. This is what it says in verse 14 through 18. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus became man and the fullness of God and the fullness of the word was all in human form. So that those who believe in him could receive the fullness of his grace. I want you to think about the implication that exists in your life when you receive the fullness of his grace. Think about this. All of God and all of God's word and all of God's light became the perfect man so that who, those who would believe could receive all of his grace and forgiveness. And this was God's plan all along. Jesus is not some sort of last minute, Hail Mary, let's just see if this thing kind of works. Jesus isn't some trick play with three seconds left on the clock to see if we can get some of these people up to heaven. Jesus is the plan in the beginning. From the garden, when God told Adam and Eve that one day a Savior would come. From the, pro the promise that God made to Abraham, 
saying that his descendants would be like the stars and the sand. God was talking about Jesus. Jesus is what would make that possible. From the time of David, when God promised that a king would come whose reign would never end, he was talking about Jesus. Jesus is that promise sent to save mankind who simply cannot save themselves. Church, we should recognize that Jesus didn't come so that we could exchange presents on Christmas and dress in pastel for Easter. That's not what he came for. I mean, those are great perks. Who doesn't love a pink shirt? Guys, am I right? That's not what he came for. Jesus didn't come to make our lives better. Although sometimes we just do experience better lives when we walk around with him. Jesus didn't come to just make sick people well. Jesus came to save. To literally take dead people and make them alive. To offer the fullness of God's grace to forgive sinners. To bring those separated from God back into a right relationship with Him. Jesus came to save. And here is the thing. Jesus is not one way to salvation. He's the only way. He's not one way of attaining grace. He's the only way. Jesus came to save anyone who would believe. Think about this for a second. Think about the implications about how you live your life. If Jesus is the only hope that anyone has, how could we possibly sleep with ourselves at night when we don't tell everybody about him? If Jesus is the only way you're getting out of this place to spend eternity in heaven instead of spending eternity in hell, how could we keep that from anyone? I mean, who in your life do you dislike enough that you would want to see them separated from God for eternity? Think about the implications. Jesus is and has always been God's, God's only plan to save man. Church, you and I have really good reason to sing today. We have really good reason to sing today. We have really good reason to sing loud today like people who know the truth. Because from the beginning, Jesus is. That's who he is. Jesus is. That's the sermon series. Well, what is he? Well, Jesus is from the beginning. He is God. He is the Word. He is creator of all things. He is the light, and he is the Son of God sent to save. And if you've never believed it before, Jesus is. Maybe you walked in here and you're like, I don't know anything about Jesus. Somebody just invited me to church today. They told me if I would come to this church, some dude would stand up there, he would talk really loud and fast, and then i get to go get lunch with them. If that's you, I'd love to get in on the lunch. I don't know where y'all are going, but, but I'm going to newcomers. right? Maybe you walked in here and you're like, I don't even know who Jesus is. I've never heard of this guy before. Maybe you walked in and you're like, I, I've heard of him, but I, I've never thought about what that meant. And I thought that's something that church people do. They talk about this Jesus guy, and you don't know what it is. This morning, I'm telling you, this morning, John told you through his gospel everything you would need to know to believe. So I would ask you this morning, can you believe? Can you believe the gospel that God made the world and it was beautiful, but then man sinned and broke it? We broke it. And we see evidence of that brokenness all around us. We see it everywhere we turn, everywhere we look. We see brokenness. We, 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 we see it in, in people. We see it in decisions that we make time and time again. We see brokenness. And the worst part of the brokenness is not just all the things that we see. It's the fact that man is separated from God. It's the worst part of the brokenness. But God loved you so much that he would not leave you in that separated state. And so he sent Jesus down here on a rescue mission. What did Jesus do? He came to save. And how did he do it? Well, he lived the perfect life that we never could. 
And then he died the horrific death that we deserved. And then he defeated that death so that anyone who would believe in him could spend eternity with him. Can you believe that today? Can you believe that for the first time today? Can you believe it again today? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that Jesus is all things. Lord, help us to live like people that know that. Lord, help us to worship this morning like people who really believe that. And if there's anybody in this room today who has not yet believed in you, who has not yet believed in who Jesus is, Lord, I ask you to do what only you can do. I ask you to give them the faith to believe. God, save them. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So we end every sermon the same way. We have a a time of invitation. My first invitation for you is to simply believe. I want to invite you to believe. You say, well, can I believe this morning? Do I know enough? You know everything you ever need to know to believe. And if you're sitting there thinking, I really believe this. I've never told anybody, but I really do believe that Jesus did all that. I really do believe that. If if you can believe this, you can know that Jesus has already done a work in your heart because without that, you'd never be able to believe. And so maybe this morning, you just want to talk to somebody about that. Maybe you just want to say, how do I do this? What's my next step? What do I do? Well, the elders are on either side of the room. They would love to talk to you. They'd love to pray with you. I'm going to be standing right over here. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to pray with you. My next invitation is I want to just invite you to the table. We don't go row by row here, so whenever you're ready, the Christian